Miss a show, no problem, on point and on the podcast. Five Catholic churches burned to the ground, some calling it justice, others simple vandalism. Catholics are feeling under attack. The question is, are they losing faith in their faith? Talk about that. Nothing happens in politics by accident or coincidence. So what's the real reason Catherine McKenna is leaving politics even before her pension arrives? And salon owners can get back to business June 30th. But a lot of those salon owners say they're up against a new battle, battling against the underground market and staff who don't want to come back until after the summer break because they want to stay on CERB. Let's get talking. Allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste. I've been around for a long, long year. Stole many a man's soul and faith. This is On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I want to spend more time with my kids. And there are other ways to tackle climate change, but I'm going to be there every step of the way uh, with the Liberal Party, uh, focused on ensuring that Canada does more and also focusing on the whole world doing more because we have one planet and there is no time. Yeah, there's a bit more time. Another politician leaving politics to spend time with the kids so uh what's the real story alex pearson with you you know nothing as i say in politics happens by accident so i do suspect there's more to why Catherine mckenna is leaving politics less than six years in and uh, i know a lot of people see mckenna as a warrior i don't i will not miss her at all i find her to be hysterical and very divisive but her departure is a bit of a surprise, as her riding of Ottawa Centre is certainly a shoe-in for her, should she decide, well, if she were going to run, uh, she would win. She'd win that election that Trudeau says he doesn't want, and she has yet, of course, to qualify for her pension, so why would she leave now before that kicks in? She does say it is to spend more time with her kids. That, I think, many mums will understand. I certainly understand. I've struggled a lot with not you know, being able to put my little guy to bed. For the last four years and I know my time with him needing his mommy to do that is disappearing quickly because he's not really a little guy anymore so that part of a reason I do understand but the other reasons and what she talked about today don't really add up for me because other than hanging with her kids she said she's going to put all her time into fighting climate change and then I think okay you're in politics how can McKenna do more for climate change outside of government than where she is now you know and when you think about what she's accomplished i mean it is because of mckenna that we have carbon taxes it won't solve anything not the not the planet that uh, apparently is going to explode um but she, she she won on that issue and that was not an easy issue for her to win and then of course it's thanks to her over the top i think rhetoric on the issue of climate change that boosted this issue into the spotlight and I suspect part of her reason for leaving might be in part because she lost her climate change title. Oddly, the Prime Minister shuffled out a top female in the job she wanted over to Infrastructure Minister. And this is kind of why I find it weird, because in infrastructure, she actually gets access to the money needed to make the real kind of tangible change she tells us that we must do in order to stop the world from imploding, because that is the ministry that controls the purse strings to actually build back better, you know, to spend billions of money on green things. And when you look back at her record and the documents, she didn't get much built. So that makes me think, well, maybe that's part of the reason of why she's leaving. 
And um, earlier this year, you didn't get any attention at all, barely any attention. Of course, Tom, our friend over at Black Locks Reporter, certainly reported on it. But her, her office was blasted by the Auditor General for dodgy accounting and record keeping of infrastructure projects. And still to this date, over 7,000 projects can't be accounted for. And her office had a budget of $187 billion, and auditors can't account for tens of billions of dollars of that money. And in April, McKenna came out and said, I'll do better, and I'll fix that. But now she's decided to go hang out with the kids, right? And so, look, without question, there's been some issues. I mean, she was an absolute lightning rod. She was one of Trudeau's most prominent voices she fulfilled his feminist agenda, but she was very polarizing because she was just so extreme in her views. You know, to question anything on climate would get you the old progressive wing, you know, finger wag, and then you got a tongue lashing. And certainly in return, she was attacked, often very viciously, and it got so bad that she actually needed protection. But today she said, well, that's not why she's leaving. It's not okay to belittle or bully or do personal attacks. Canadians don't want that. And so let's keep it that way. Because we saw what that can look like. And it happens here too. We've seen Islamophobia. We've seen anti-Semitism. We've seen racism against indigenous peoples and beyond. We're better than that. Mm-hmm. Are we? Look, she did not deserve a lot of the attacks she got. It is one thing to dislike her. But she faced some really, really aggressive, awful stuff. But she didn't help matters because she played right into the party's identity, identity politics, which I think is the reason why this country is just so divided and so angry. And so here we are. We got a sudden opening in Ottawa Centre and we've got a looming election. It's pretty timely. Pretty timely for a guy. A certain former Bank of Canada and England Governor Mark Carney to dive into the political career he claims that he's not jonesing for. So Trudeau loses one green warrior, but uh, could welcome in a green giant compared to McKenna, because Carney is all in on the green global utopian dreams. He's all about building back better, and he's made no secret that the world should be green or that eh, he wouldn't mind replacing Trudeau once the shine comes off his holiness. And even though he, you know, he doesn't really practice what he preaches, I mean, he makes his wealth in the private sector off of investments into fossil fuel projects. And yet there he preaches to be a savior to the climate change. He offers his vision for a new kind of capitalism, this pursuit of profit built off of social purpose. And this is the kind of talk progressives lap up. Lap up. They just love this stuff, even though in no way does his talk meet the walk. Like, just no way. So, as I said, nothing happens in politics by accident. McKenna is a prominent female now out. But the good old boys club in Ottawa is going to be all too happy to welcome in one of the boys, especially if he can keep the party in power once Trudeau sinks in the water he sees himself walking on. But this isn't the only uh, minister that's uh, also not running. Uh, Navdeep Bain's not running. Wayne Easter is not going to be running. There's uh, quite a few prominent liberals that are not going to be running in the next election. So I don't know what that says. I don't know what that tells us. But we are definitely coming closer to an election. They're gearing up for it, and I guess we'll have to wait and see what the true story is behind Minister McKenna leaving office. So,
question is, are Catholics losing faith in their faith? Since the uh, discovery of these bodies on the grounds of residential schools now in Kamloops, BC and Saskatchewan, I've talked to a number of Catholics who feel, you know, feel very much like they are under attack. You've got those who are questioning their faith um, and those wondering what to believe in. And this is not the first crisis the Catholic Church has faced, of course, the sexual abuse cover-ups that have rocked the Church over the past couple of decades. But that scandal might not resonate quite the way this one will when you've got accusations that the church may have had a hand in bearing thousands of children across this country. And so I think for many, the question is, you know, where is the leadership and will this tragedy lead to Catholics losing their faith? Dr. Mark McGowan is a professor of history and Celtic studies and the interim principal of the University of St. Michael's College. He joins us now. Good to have you. Thank you. Thanks for asking me. There are a couple of different crises here. There are those who are Catholics who might be questioning their faith, questioning their church. And then there is, you know, the question of where is the leadership? Which one do you want to start with? Well, I mean, let's let's start with the with the leadership issue and, and how this particular issue, you know, has been handled since uh, the news broke from Kamloops uh, at the beginning of June. Um, and and an apologia for for your listeners, uh, Alex, is that uh, I am a Catholic, so um, mm-hmm. I'm speaking from the tradition. But um, one has to understand that the Catholic Church is not a monolith, and I think right. the way in which the leadership um, has has chosen to initiate uh, the discussion on this has been unfortunate, um, because they took they took a very legalistic stance, which is not understood by non-Catholics, that there is no such legal entity as the Catholic Church in Canada. Therefore, you know, you can't ask for certain apologies. Um, But most Catholics wouldn't understand that either. They wouldn't understand things like, you know, bishops are Episcopal corporations and religious orders are juridical persons. I mean, that's, that's really out of the wheelhouse of most Catholics. And it's a fairly safe legal argument, uh, but it's not convincing because morally and pastorally, most people would identify the Catholic Church, you know, without those kind of legal constrictions. And that's why, you know, morally and pastorally to say, you know, the Pope as head of the Church, you know, should apologize uh, on behalf of of the entire Church, um, seems to resonate as a very powerful moral argument, not only among Catholics themselves, and close to 6,000 have signed a petition online to that effect, including myself, but also um, it would be, uh, I think, a very good step in the right direction uh, in terms of reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, those who are both Catholic and those who are not Catholic. And even that Mm -hmm. community is divided on that very second question, you know, that you've raised with regard to people, you know, uh, having their faith challenged by this. But, you know, in, in an era when the leadership of the, of the Catholic Church, you know, tends to duck behind uh, legalistic arguments instead of approaching this in a more pastoral way. And I, I say that more in terms of uh, uh, generally, as opposed to specific bishops and religious orders, who you know, the, the, one of the first apologies came from the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, who are one of the yeah. leading religious orders, and their apology came as early as 1991. The Jesuits apologized. Mm-hmm. The other Christian churches who were who were engaged, uh, they, they have a different structure, and they apologized, you know, as a whole, you know, in 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 the 90s. 
So it, it looks like the Catholic Church, I think, publicly, or at least in the court of public opinion, is the odd man out here or the, or the mm-hmm. odd entity out because there hasn't been kind of a formal general uh, apology. And I think there, that's where it becomes so important that uh, the moral leadership of the Pope come to play and that it be a be be significant at sort of beginning a, a process of dialogue and, and, and healing. And it also means, Alex, that, I mean, uh, archival deposit that could lead to understanding the truth, you know, be open and transparent. And that's not just religious orders and churches, and they're, and they're making attempts at that, but also the federal government who held back uh, you know, critical documents from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I think once uh, all three of these entities, um, the, the, the government, uh, religious orders, and Episcopal, uh, that is the bishops in various dioceses where it's affected, you know, make, make open their records to the TRC, I think then you get at the truth, and only with truth can we have reconciliation. Sure. So, yeah. There's there's the one question, Alex. I mean, the other question is, you know, how how do Catholics deal with this generally? I mean, and you're quite right. I mean, the church has taken, you know, uh, how should we say, a number of 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 gaps in credibility on a number of issues, and and certainly um, the sexual abuse scandals, which are not just you know uh, evident in Canada, but in the United States and in Europe and elsewhere. I mean, that has really hurt the faith of, of, of many Catholics in their leadership, particularly in the transparency and the goodness that, that should be shown in these particular cases. And I think some have taken taken hope in Pope Francis's um, move in terms of a greater justice done, more transparency and, and getting to the root causes, which he calls clericalism, which is, in a sense, in a sense, Alex, really at, at the root of the problem in explaining you know, what's happening, you know, with regard to the church's engagement in, 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 in the uh, indigenous residential schools, it's this idea of clericalism. Are we going to do what's right, or we're, are we going to follow quite closely the, the thickets of law? I've had a number of Catholics, you know, call me and email me, and uh, with the very issue that you've laid on the table in this in this little discussion, and my advice to many of them is is to start reading. I mean, much of of what we've dis, we've discovered as a nation, okay, in the past three or four weeks, has been out there for 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 some time, and we have just chosen not to listen. Now, as a historian, I mean, um, you know, there have been plenty of works that I've suggested that are very readable uh, to people who want to get behind what are the issues, you know, on, on the table. Um, why was it that so many children died in these uh, in these residential schools? And I think you know works by J.R. Miller and by by John Malloy, I think can help point people in the direction. Okay, this is what this this narrative looks like. Um, uh, and uh, but I mean we still hang on. I, I think as a nation to this settler myth, this sort of. Um, popular idea that the Canadian West and the way in which Canada dealt with Indigenous peoples was so different from the John Wayne-esque version, you know, that took place in the United States. But um, the more reading you do and and the more testing of the evidence, you discover that uh, we didn't, uh, as one historian has said, we didn't mow them down with cavalry, we starved them to death. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and by government parsimony, by the way in which education was implemented. And I guess the second thing I say to some, to 
the, to some of the Catholics who've asked me is is that well, um, the Church has changed substantially in terms of its if its idea of mission and evangelization since the Second Vatican Council. And I think it's only those changes that have, have made members of the Church kind of reflect quite deeply on, on its past in the 19th century as, 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 a, as, a, as an organization engaged in the history in which it lives. In this case, uh, the 19th century context, they behaved in a certain way. That doesn't mean that uh, we can excuse it, uh, but it does mean that we can learn from it, uh, make justice done. And... Uh, yeah. Uh, and move forward, reconciled to the indigenous people that the church was part of a, a of a very injurious cultural genocide that that took place. Yeah, and, and I've only got about a minute left, um, so I'll, you know, it doesn't afford you the, enough time to have this conversation. But you know, you would, you know, apologies won't cut it. Um, Canadians, by and large, want justice, and I think you know the Catholic Church and, and the government they owe it um, to to everyone to get that justice. Otherwise, you can't have the reconciliation, as you say. But if those who practice in the Catholic faith, uh, they owe it to the cat, their followers, um, you know, to, to show some leadership on this and do the right thing. The lay voices must be heard. Um, the church must 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 pay the price that it was will do to pay and still hasn't financially. Archives have to be opened. Uh, and uh, and and again, uh, we have to move move forward in 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 reconciling uh ourselves with the, with with the church's past but move forward in hope that uh we can we can we can do much better well it's uh only the beginning of this conversation but lots of confusion questioning going on and um and I certainly appreciate your sight uh, insights into it thanks a lot thank you very much that is Dr. Mark McGowan, who will uh, continue to discuss uh, this with, because I think a lot of people are uh, certainly debating a lot of debatables at this point, but not debatable is the fact that we want answers, justice, and then you get your reconciliation. I was ready for a change, and infrastructure was awesome. But, you know, it's, I think it's sometimes strange. Some people wonder, like, why would anyone leave politics? But I said I would leave uh, when I felt I'd done what I'd come to do, and I, I really feel that. I actually feel pretty zen. I feel pretty happy. I feel pretty excited for the next chapter. Well, that is Minister of Infrastructure, Catherine McKenna, surprising a lot of people with news that she is not going to run in the upcoming election um, and that the Prime Minister, of course, tells us, tells us he does not want. Uh, but when it comes to politics, nothing is ever by coincidence or by accident. And no question, McKenna's a lightning rod for critics and has faced relentless and often really gross attacks. But she is one of Trudeau's best female warriors. And whether you like her or not, her relentless climate change crusade made the issue an issue that can no longer be ignored. So the question then is, why is she suddenly leaving this high profile minister's job in a very safe riding that she would get reelected in before even getting her pension? And why is Mark Carney helping to pack up her office? Warren Kinsella, president of Daisy Group and a guy who once worked in the trenches with Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. He might know. Good to have you. Thanks for having me. There's a couple of different angles on this. I thought maybe um, before I get into the Mark Carney stuff, 
you know, she got into some trouble with the Auditor General earlier this year. It didn't get a lot of attention, but, you know, tens of billions missing in infrastructure money. She said she'd fix that. I don't know if there's a scandal brewing where they can't account for that money and that becomes an election issue. Or are they just, does a minister like her just quit? I just can't see why she would quit. I was really surprised. And I think a lot of political people were really surprised. You know, because she's bilingual and a lawyer, as you say. And, you know, whether you like her or not, she actually has some achievements, you know, over the objections of a lot of provinces, a lot of people. She pushed through, you know, the carbon tax. She got the Supreme Court of Canada to agree that it was constitutional. And, um, you know, for the most part, she's done an okay job during the pandemic. I felt badly for her over the past few days. You know, we all talk all the time about the importance of having more talented women in politics. And, you know, here she is. Word leaks out that she's leaving and the story all becomes Mark Carney, right? The guy. Let's talk about the guy and forget about her. I felt badly for her about that. And I think that's symptomatic of, of our politics these days. Yeah, I mean, there's no question. I think as a mother, any mother can understand, yeah, you want to f- have time with your kids. I mean, uh, politics is a relentless world. Um, and and all mothers, I think, this year are saying, uh, yeah, <laughs> I got to figure out how I can spend more time before my child is an adult. So that I get. Um, it just doesn't make much sense why you would leave, you know, a high profile job before securing your yourself with a pension. Um, but certainly when it is such a safe riding for her, because she did muscle her way into that, beating out the NDP. I mean, she's one of his highest profile people, and I don't think she probably took kindly to losing the climate change file that she made front and center. So is there behind the scenes some kind of conflict between her feminist, uh, you know, boss? Uh, Could that be an issue? Well, the one thing she said that I just flat out did not believe is she said, you know, she the two reasons she was leaving were kids. I believe that. But that she's going to keep working on the climate change file. And it's like, Catherine, like, you know, um, we, we weren't born yesterday. You're you're in a better position to advance that file and any file when you're a cabinet minister, particularly when you're a senior cabinet minister. So there's got to be some other story, the speculation, you know, because there's always in the corridors of power, as you know, there's always speculation about the real reason. So Carney takes over her seat and, uh, you know, Jim Watson becomes uh, the, who's currently the mayor of Ottawa, becomes governor general. And then she runs for mayor of Ottawa. But, you know, like that's the kind of machinations and backroom stuff that the Liberal Party gets itself in trouble about. It's like, we're, we're just going to do this, right? We're going to just, we're going to set this all up and the people are going to go along with it. And, you know, that's how David Peterson lost government. And that's how Michael Ignatieff, you know, led the Liberal Party to its worst showing in history. And Michael mm-hmm. Ignatieff reminds me a lot of Mark Carney. Yeah, the more you read on Carney, um, I think the more problems he's going to have because he's Mr. Green Climate Change Crusader, and yet he makes all his money off of investments into, uh, you know, fossil fuel. Uh, Yet he's out there talking about this new kind of capitalism that will be created on this social justice, um, you know, where you're doing good, but you're making money. And he is very high profile, and I think a lot of people look at him as, you know, Trudeau's replacement at some point. But again... um, Politics is never a sure thing. And, you know, unless he's got a squeaky clean background and there is no scandal following Catherine McKenna out the door, maybe he could have a chance. But there are a lot of variables that go with that. 
No, for sure. And, you know, I, you know, full disclosure, I was briefly an advisor at Ignatiev, as you know, a decade ago. I can't believe it's been 10 years. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember talking to Ignatiev once and he was, you know, because I, I told him I, I had heard that from my conservative friends that they were getting ready to run a $4 million camp ad campaign against him, which became right. famous, uh, the Just Visiting campaign, and it defeated mm-hmm. Ignatiev. And he just, you know, Michael just did not believe that it would be effective. And I said to him the same thing I would say to Carney if I ever met the guy, is how can you say you love a country? How can you say you care about a country when you've lived outside of it for decades at a time? Like, it just doesn't add up. And that's how the conservatives were able to take down Ignatiev. And I think Carney is vulnerable in the same way because, he, you know, he's lived in London and he's lived in Boston and he's lived in New York and Tokyo and all over the place. And he's one of these kind of international elite jet setters, which is great, which is fine. But those jet setters tend not to do very well in politics. Yeah. And so given your experience you know, in the war room and, and dealing with campaigns and knowing that nothing in politics is guaranteed and, and uh, you know, crap happens, how do you see this story playing out? Do you think there is something behind um, Minister McKenna uh, leaving so abruptly? Does your spidey senses tell you that? Um, how do you see this story playing out over the next couple of months? Because it's very obvious we're going to an election. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your suspicion. Uh, on the pension thing, I think she's in a position she can become a senior partner counsel at a law firm. So maybe mm-hmm. she's not as preoccupied with the dough. But, I mean, if Trudeau calls the election any time after October 19th of this year, all of those newbies who were elected with him in 2015 get their six years and they get their pretty fat MP's pension. And so she would be one of those. So maybe she knows something we don't, that the election is in fact not going to be before October 19th. It's going to be after it. But yeah, it just, it looks too much of a setup. You know, the leaks to certain journalists, you know, about Carney, the leaks about McKenna and so on. It just looks a little too neat and tidy. And again, it's the kind of stuff that people don't like in politics, you know, where the Liberal Party is deciding what's best for them. And I think people have had quite enough of that during the pandemic. And I think the Liberal Party needs to be looking at somebody, you know, who isn't, you know, a member of the Lucky Sperm Club and is a bit closer to Main Street than Bay Street. But you know, looks like they're they're moving towards this guy right now. Albeit, you know, they could have kept her in that job um, um, and bumped out Carolyn Bennett uh, and had him run in Toronto Centre. Uh, this is my riding. It's a very red riding. Um, you know, maybe she retires early and, and decides to spend time with her grandkids, um, you know, and then you keep a high profile person like McKenna and then you protect your riding down in, in downtown Toronto. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, Bennett's riding, and Bennett just has to go. After what she did last week, you know, doing that disgusting response to Jody Wilson-Raybould on the day that those 700 bodies were discovered in Saskatchewan, it was just despicable. Mm -hmm. You know, Bennett needs to go, so she's one of the ones they need to, to move out and get some new blood there. But, you know, I think this does create an opportunity for the Conservatives and the New Democrats is, uh, you know, when you got some senior ministers like Navdeep Baines at industry and Catherine McKenna, you know, who's done infrastructure and done environment, that tells you that some people are not so sure about the Liberal Party's chances, that a majority is not in the bag and, uh, you know, they're voting with their feet. So maybe that creates opportunity for Singh and O'Toole. Just quickly before I let you go, and I'll be talking about this a little bit later in the show because so few are talking about it. And I got to be honest, I'm really shocked that this story is not getting more attention. What do you make of uh, the Trudeau government uh, 
you know, taking the speaker to court. What do you think they're hiding in those documents? Do you think it's as damaging as I think it is? Because it's it's unprecedented um, and Never it should be getting before. a heck of a look. Right. I mean, so for all the bluster we hear about Premier Ford and the notwithstanding closure, if you're offended by that, you should be revolted by this. Yeah, he's a, you know, you know the speaker is, Rhoda is a liberal MP. They're taking one of their own to court to t- try and suppress the release of a document. And Rhoda said, look, if there's problems, you know, we'll give it a review and we'll we'll take out the stuff that, you know, affects national security. And the Trudeau guys are saying no to that. And I think this is one of the vulnerabilities that Trudeau guys have got is, you know, they promise to be open and transparent and all that kind of blah, blah, blah. And they've tended to be one of the most secretive and doctrinaire governments that we've had in our lifetime. So it creates a, you know, vulnerability for them too. I, I've never seen anything like this. It is extraordinary. They're taking their own MP, who happens to be Speaker of the House of Commons, to court. It's incredible. Incredible, and it's incredible that it doesn't get any coverage, but hello to the state of politics today. Uh, Very much appreciate your time, and we'll stay tuned. Thanks, Thanks, Warren. Thanks, my friend. Take care. That's Warren uh, Kinsella joining us here tonight, so we'll stay tuned. uh, See where the smoke leads. I just have to get advice from the, the docs. You know, I, I want to get things open as quickly as possible. I think it's going to come sooner than later. The numbers dropped again. Um, and and we, we need to get the economy boom. The only, you know, the only few things that aren't open are, uh, you know, the indoor uh, dining, which is, is going to happen. Um, and uh, re- really, uh, outside of the casinos and, and strip joints, they're the only three things that aren't open now. Well, get them open. What's the holdup? We've got like 200 and something cases, right? So we're heading into stage two of the reopening on the stupidest day of the week. That would be Wednesday, right before a long weekend. But it does mean for a lot of uh, hairy, hippie guys and gals, you can come back to 2021 and get a nice clean shave, a nice clean cut. And, um, of course, a lot of salons are not actually going to open. They're going to wait until, I guess, the weekend or maybe uh, uh, on the Monday. I've also spoken with a few salon owners who say they're really having trouble getting staff to return because, well, hell, they want the summer off and they're happy to, you know, take the syrup. Which, I mean, can you imagine being a salon owner hanging on for dear life for over a year, trying to make sure your employees are okay, and then you say, hey, we survived. You can come back. Oh, but I need a, I need a summer vacation. I mean, I'm making all this money off the government. I mean, what a kick in the chops that is. What a kick in the chops. But there are other issues also that are going to be a threat to salons. Let us talk about that. Benny uh, Cecilia is a hairstylist and also owner of the chain Blow Dry Lounge. He joins us now. Good to have you. Hi, Alex. How are you? Well, I know you're pretty busy right now trying to gear up and get your uh, salons open. What's the biggest challenge you're running into right now? Um, Well, I mean, right now, I mean, the big challenge was uh, more your support staff. Like, I'm happy to say that, you know, 90% of my stylists are all coming back, which which I'm, you know, very grateful for. I have an amazing team. But it's the support staff, like my front desk, uh, my front desk coordinators. Um, you know, they've been off work for seven months. And, you know, some have decided to take on new positions and, and try, you know, something different because... Um, you know, they needed to survive. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's been really challenging now because it's not just myself that's going through this. It's, as you said, a lot of other salons and even through Instagram, I keep seeing colleagues like sending, putting up postings, looking for a reception or front desk managers, like, you know, your support staff, that is almost like the nucleus of your salon. Um, mm-hmm. you know, making sure everything's running. Yeah, and and if they don't know the operation or understand how it works, because it's like a fine-tuned machine, you know. Training all new people. Yeah, you know, so that's like added, like just you know, added stuff. You know, and like I mean, fortunate enough, I'm not falling. I'm not falling into the problem that I'm hearing out there. And this is touching on your point about people not wanting to come back to work because they're getting paid to stay home. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of salons finding themselves in a dilemma of staff that is so used to this underground economy that they're now proposing that they want to work part time. Mm. And which is really a conflict for you because, you know, you, yeah, so they, as I understand, they rent the chair from you. So if they're not going to do a full time rental, then you're stuck well, with half a chair. Yeah. Well, it's not even a matter of renting chair. These are people that you have built these are people that you know your reputation you know your salon team reputation has built a lot of these stylists and colorists and then all of a sudden Mm -hmm. they don't want to work full-time they want to work part-time right and this is a really really tough situation because as much as you love your employee you still have to think of the integrity of your business and Mm -hmm. um you know, and and your intellectual property, like your your clientele, the clientele that your company is has built. So, right. You know, so you're worried. So are you, hold on, let me step in. So is there a concern that they then cannibalize the clientele you've built in and say, "Hey, come on over on a Sunday. I'll give you a haircut at my house." Is that the right? concern? Like, I mean, you know, you, like you, you know, you're, you you hope you hope that you know they're going to be a lot more professional than that, but. You know, there's always that added worry now. You know what I mean? Right. Because it has become the norm for the last seven months for people to be going into other into people's homes. And, you know, before any kind of home service would be going through the salon because there would always be a premium to take the stylist out of the establishment for the day. Well, that has now gone. So... You know, it's it's really it's really another blow to the owners in the in the in hairdressing is, you know, because it went so long and you can't blame people for doing it because the people need to survive. But it went so long that it's just it's now something else that we all have to worry about, you know? Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, do we, I don't know if you, we even have data to gauge how big the um, black, uh, the underground market in this particular area is, but certainly kind of hard to blame a stylist if they can take their craft and Absolutely. do it on the road because, you know, and, and make some money. You know, why, Listen, why wouldn't they? Knocking, but at the same you know, time, like... to survive. But at the same yeah. time, they, you know, it the color of money tends to skew people's vision and, and they forget where they built that clientele from. You know what right. I mean? They, the, they forget the number of hours that the owner invested in the stylist to help them build this, you know what I mean? Like to give them this yeah. environment to help them build. Like, you know, hey man, it's, a lot of it is the stylist. Being a stylist myself, you have to build and maintain your clientele. Yes. 
But, you know, in certain, in this industry, it's also the type of clientele depends on the place you're working at too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they're also not paying taxes and then they're, they're you know, so it's, it's they're they're pocketing cash. Or... Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah. So I'm sure at some um, point you know, uh, the CRA will catch up with them. Absolutely. Well, it's going, you know, I mean. But the other, the other thing is, and I find this just, I mean, I, I would, I would feign surprise, but I mean, you know, I was just talking to a, a barber a couple of hours ago and, you know, he'll be able to open up his, his place for the first time in a year and a half, he's got to pay just like you full taxes for the year. And he had to pay for a barber's license to renew his license. And I'm looking at mm. it going, are you kidding me? You have to pay for all these things after you've been told to shut down. I mean, are they not giving any breaks? I mean, even on license renewals, that's ridiculous. I know. I know. But there's a lot of things that are ridiculous, Alex. <laughs> the fact that but is there no, is there no, is there no way to push back against that? I mean, it's not like you chose um, to go you know, close your stores, but Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, when you've got a salon, your salons are on some of the highest rent, um, you know, locations. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you're not alone, but, you know, no. to think that your shop has been collecting dust for a year and the city is going to come along and, you know, take the money that, you know, you didn't really use for water and things <laughs> like that. You know, there's got to be some kind of discount. But then I heard about barber, like your licensing fees and all that to renew them. That That to me is just unforgivable. I know. I know. I mean, I guess we just got to pick our battles right now. Just the main thing for, for us right now is getting getting our shops open, servicing our clients, you know, making sure that we provide, you know, the great space and a safe place for everybody to come and to show everybody that it's, that we're ready. I mean, are you, you know, ready? I'm ready. I'm ready. I've been ready for months. I've been ready since yeah, April and are you- 12. And, and yeah, and are and are you book solid? Because the last time you guys opened, everyone booked up solid, and then a week later, they're telling their clients, "Yeah, you're canceled." But are you book solid? Yeah. Um, you know what? I yes, I'm I'm pretty book solid. Um, you know, it's 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 a great. Like I think people are just. It's almost like people kind of waited until they knew it was for sure. And, uh, but I have been seeing in the last few days, like our online booking system has just been going, you know, nonstop and, um, you know, it's, it's, it's great to see. Um, and we just look forward to getting back behind the chair. (laughs) Just quickly before I let you go, how long do you think, I mean, are you just kind of forgetting about the the climbing out of the hole? I mean, can you climb out of the hole and how long do you think it would take? Uh, Hard to say, hard to say. Or is it just a write off at this point? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. You're not going to get back. You know, you have to think it's, it's like, you know, it's people are going to, people will go out and, you know, have great dinners and buy great yeah. bottles of wine that have been sitting there. You know, you have to think mm-hmm. us hair, the, the hairstyling, hairdressing, you know, industry, we lost a year of graduations. We lost a year of weddings. Yeah. We lost a year of all these events, bar mitzvahs, events, yeah. bar mitzvahs, you know, everything, all these, all these extra events that really, really play a, de- play, play a huge role in, in your, in your bottom line. Like that's all business lost. You're not going to get that back. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, look, so. I, yeah, I'm up against the clock. I really, um, I hope that this is, uh, I hope you're busier than hell. I, um, Thanks. I'll wish you the very best of luck and, um, I, I know you're going to be busy, but, uh, I, we're definitely hoping for the best for you guys. Cause you guys have definitely earned it. Thanks a lot, Benny. Thanks, Alex. Have a great night.
Benny Cecilia is owner of Blow Dry Lounge, so if you want a haircut in Toronto, I think he's got openings, but yeah. Be good to your barber and uh, salons. They have been through hell and back. Thanks for listening. Of course, you can tune in live Monday through Friday starting 6.30 sharp. I'm Alex Pearson. Great to have you here on Point. This is Global News.